Jesus, thank you for this food. Please bless it. Help guide us through this difficult season of our relationship. Protect Cassie's heart, because she has really, really, really been struggling. Amen. Can I, can I just pray really quick? Yeah. Dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Please bless it. I pray that Jamie realizes that my heart wouldn't need protection if I had a boyfriend who supported me. Amen. Yep. Let's dig in. You know, I'm just gonna, real quick. Uh, dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Please bless it. I'm not quite sure how you can call me unsupportive when I'm now working two jobs to support you painting. Help my girlfriend be a little less ungrateful so we can go back to glorifying I, you. Know, you. I'm, I'm going to do one just really, really I just feel quick. Like this dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Please bless it. Yep. Send Jamie a sign that it's not all about him that painting should not be in air quotes. Dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Please bless it. I just pray a bus comes and just drives through this restaurant. Heavenly Father, oh, we're doing that we, now? Okay. Look, we I pray that you give me and the courage you know to leave. Oh, Candace, dear Jesus, I pray that you give her the courage to leave and that you show me what it feels like to live a life where I can delight in your presence again. I haven't been to church in a month because of my anxiety. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you Thank so much. You. This looks really Thank nice. You. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, if you are new, welcome. My name is Danny, and I'm one of the pastors I'm sharing with you today. Uh, we're in a series right now, as Paul said, talking about ancient spiritual practices, and today we are talking about the spiritual practice of prayer. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer fight before. Uh, they're not quite that well scripted, but my wife and I have had a few of those where, where we're doing our evening prayers, you know, with the kids when they were younger, and you just drop a little thing, you know, about mom's patience or, or, <laughs> or, or, or dad's lack of self-discipline or whatever it is. So uh, I, I relate to the video maybe, maybe better than most, but uh, what I will say is that this topic is a hard one to, uh, to put in 30, 35 minutes. Uh, I was concerned when it came up because it's just so vast, and most of us in this room uh, have some kind of experience with it. Uh, so I want to say this before we start. Uh, we did a series a while back called Homeward, and uh, it's on the website. It's on the app. If you want to take a much deeper dive into prayer, I think it's six or eight weeks, uh, that's where I would recommend you start. And then uh, there's also some resource materials on there that you can check out. Uh, I, I feel in my heart, though, that there was still something really special in, the, in this topic, even though we were going to do it in kind of, a, in kind of a, a short way. But I knew that whatever we were going to do, we couldn't do it without actually starting in prayer. I think it, we might as well just apply it right here, right now, and then uh, see what the Holy Spirit does with it in this room, with those of you who are here, with those who are watching online, and, uh, and later on with those who are maybe streaming this uh, at a later date. I believe that God is very custom with his Holy Spirit, and uh, he, he very much so meets us right where we are, and that's what I, ha I hope happens today. So uh, let me start, and we'll pray, and then we'll see what God wants to do with us for the rest of our time together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we sit in this space right now um, curious. We sit in this space asking, what is it that, especially if we've walked with you for a long time, can be refreshed about our prayer lives? Uh, where are we supposed to go with it? How are we supposed to focus it? And Lord, ultimately, what does it do uh, in our stories to drive us closer to you and eventually even to each other? Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to learn from you today. And I ask, God, that you would just uh, make yourself inc incredibly clear 
and incredibly uh, poignant as we, as we walk out something that, that is an everyday spiritual discipline for so many in this room. And so we lift it up to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we've been looking at a lot of Richard Foster stuff, so you're going to hear a few of his quotes from me today. Um, I like this quote that, uh, that, that I'm going to use to launch us into this discussion, and it's this. Prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Meditation introduces us to the inner life. Fasting is an accompanying means. Study transforms our minds. But it is the discipline of prayer that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. In other words, when we apply prayer to our lives, according to Scripture, uh, it creates change. It, it isn't something that we just add and, and, then, and then it just becomes like a regular routine in our story that just kind of facilitates when we're struggling or when we're weak or when we're lacking. It's constantly facilitating newness. In other words, prayer is meant to change and expand us. And I thought about that in my own prayer life. And if I'm really honest with you, uh, and we've talked about this here before, that, that as a Christian, if you're someone who follows the Lord, you are called to grow. You are called to develop. You are called to transform. No different than if you're raising a small child and she's seven years old. By the time she's eight years old, if things are healthy within her, she is developing into more of who she's going to be. As Christians, we are also called to do that. And I think prayer is a major catalyst for that happening. I also think a lot of us, especially in our spiritual lives, get to a certain spiritual age, usually when we're just a little bit better than most of our friends, right? Then that usually when we kind of we top out is when we can be the ones finally in the group that give the advice. But if you critique us, well, you haven't been as married as, you know, married as long as my wife and I have. You haven't, you don't really understand. Like, how long have you been a Christian? Seven years? 17 years. So anyways, let me tell you what I know. Instead, I think prayer is supposed to be the Holy Spirit's kind of stirring action within our stories that tells us we are never the person that we are supposed to be next year till we come before God and he begins to stir and expand us. In my own prayer life, I have had huge seasons of stagnation, huge ones. It's actually probably the first thing in my story that, that stagnates. You might think it would be the sermons, right? That would be a more natural way to, to gauge but, but that's too easy for humans to pick up on. So I, I, I maintain a high level in that area, even though God may know, Danny, did you put everything you were supposed to into this? But I won't know that God knows that unless I'm spending time with prayer in you know, connection to him. And so if I'm struggling with my faith, although I may do well here, I'm often not doing well here, and I think that's a really, really common story. You may be doing pretty good as a husband or or as a, a boyfriend, or as a girlfriend, or as just a coworker, but inside, you're not expanding at all. You topped out, you, you peaked, right, in junior high school, spiritually speaking. But you don't hang out with people who really challenge you. I think prayer is a constant call to God's challenge and a really important thing to discuss, even from this sort of perspective that we are right now, where you just kind of look at it and evaluate it quickly how it's applying to your life. Prayer is best understood as a learning process if you want to engage it that way. 
meaning that you don't ever really master it. Uh, Foster continues, he says, It was liberating to me to understand that prayer involved a learning process. Because of this, I was set free to question, to experiment, even to fail, for I knew I was learning. I, I don't know that I've approached prayer as a learning process very often. I don't know that I've definitely approached prayer in a, in a sense of experimenting or, or even being willing to fail. And yet, when we are learning, we are set free to question. When we, are, when we are learning, we are set free to experiment. And these are the necessary risks in prayer, exploration and discovery. These things are supposed to be part of our daily walk with the Lord. We should go into prayer expecting to expand and to leave it with something we have newly discovered. When I was a youth pastor, I had a very large youth group. Uh, our, the youth group that I had was larger than this church is right now. And towards the end of that time, I felt pretty solid in my youth pastoring skills. Uh, we had developed a really strong program. We had seven staff just on the youth group team. And I remember towards the end of that, as I was transitioning into more associate pastor and speaking pastor stuff, uh, I, I was doing a call to salvation and I, it involved this prayer that we, that we kind of typically do if you grew up in a traditional church where you tell people, you know, this is what you pray and, and repeat after me and all these kinds of things. And at the end of the service, everybody was milling around and it was, there was a lot of energy in the room. And this young man came forward. He was probably 15. He said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And he brought me down front and he goes, hey, I want to pray that prayer, but I, I, don't really, I, I don't really like that one. And I'm like, bro, have you seen the size of this youth group? Like, this is what I do. I didn't say that. With my eyes, I did. And he, and he knew quickly. He was like, no, no, I'm just saying, like, like I've never prayed before. So I just, like, I kind of want to pray my own prayer. Like, I, like, can I pray my own prayer of salvation? It's still inviting God. And I was like, sure. And he goes, but how do I start? And I said, well, how do you want to start? And that's when I knew through the Holy Spirit that I was the student here. And I said, you know what? Let's just get still for a second. You know, you know the idea of Jesus and the cross. I clarified all that. Let's just get still for a second. And then you just pray whatever comes to your heart. So I sat with this young man, not expecting a lot, but also knowing I was in a sacred moment. We got really quiet. We got really still. Like 30 seconds he waited, which is a long time for a 15-year-old boy. And then all of a sudden he said, hey, God, it's me. And I was done. He just prayed this prayer like it just flowed. He talked about his family. He talked about his life. He talked about where Jesus was. He was angry. He was upset. And then he was repentant. And I left that, that powerful experience feeling impacted. And from that day on, if you've ever heard a salvation experience here at Kesson, 95% of the time it starts off with just pray this simple prayer. Hey, God, it's me. It, it changed me. It, it, it affected me because it was a human spirit interacting with the Holy Spirit right there in front of me. There was no pride. There was no game. It was just him coming before God as he was. And it was because he was willing to experiment. He was willing to, to explore. He was willing to fail. And it changed everything about the way that I understood, specifically that kind of prayer. So my hope today is that. 
that even if you're an expert, you've done this a thousand times, you, you, you spend hours and hours and hours on your knees in prayer, my hope is that you are wrecked just a little bit. That the Holy Spirit reminds you of how important you are to him and that there is still much expansion to be had in your life. Amen? Amen. So that's my hope for today. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, I would like us to read the Lord's Prayer together because I think if we're really going to allow prayer to sit within our lives in a way that it, that it is kind of a seed that's planted, there's not a better seed to plant than Jesus explaining to us how to pray. And so I want to start by reading the entire thing together, starting in verse 9, which starts with this then is how you should pray. So let's read it all together. One voice, by the way, we have an earlier service than this. Uh, they really struggled with this reading together thing. Like, I had to start three different times. Uh, and we ended up even doing a countdown, like three, two, one. I, so, so this is the 9 o'clock service, so I know you guys are going to get this, but, but are you ready? Okay. Start, let's start uh, with uh, this then. Ready? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if you grew up in church and you grew up with a different version of the Bible, you're probably waiting for the rest of the passage which says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But that's actually not a part of this passage that Jesus taught. It's traditionally understood as a part uh, of the prayer that the uh, early church added because they didn't feel that it wrapped up well enough. So they threw in their own beautiful poem. And uh, most, of us, <laughs> most of us memorized that, which is why you were so bothered that I didn't finish it. But listen, people, we're just here to preach the Bible and the verses and the words of Jesus, uh, even if it doesn't end as pretty as you'd like. You can still memorize it. It's just, it's just not scripture. So no, no big deal. No big deal. Although I think there's verses about not adding to this book, maybe somewhere in the back. But I don't, I don't know. So let's keep going. When Jesus started this passage and said, this then is how you should pray, who is he talking to? Is he talking to his disciples? Is he talking to uh, the expanded group of people who followed him? Is he talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees that were there to kind of judge him? Is he talking to the culture at the time? Or is he actually building a blueprint for how humans are supposed to pray and interact with God? Asked another way, is Jesus giving us a defined posture or seed in prayer to grow and develop from? To understand this, I think we need to do a deeper dive into what Jesus was doing by offering this Lord's Prayer in the first place. Let's start with a basic statement. Jesus, through his work in ministry, was starting a movement. This is what he was doing. He wasn't just there to, 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 to speak some pretty words. He wasn't just there to heal people. He wasn't just there to sacrifice himself. He was there to give us something that would last beyond his physical presence on this planet. This prayer is a climactic event within that movement starting. And there's very specific reasons why. 
Now, we have another campus that's uh, taught by uh, one of our other pastors, Pastor Chris. And Chris taught on prayer earlier. They're doing the same series, but the way their schedule worked out, they talked on prayer a few weeks ago. And part of his sermon at our Columbia campus, he shared about this teaching he found from one of the Bible Project teachers, Tim Mackey. Tim gave a unique way of understanding Jesus' underlying movement and inciting goals when it came to this prayer. And so, in essence, Chris stole this from Tim, and then I stole it from Chris. So, this is what I want to do. I want to I share with you what Chris slash Tim's illustration looked like talking about this movement. To do that, I want to play uh, 40, 45 seconds of a song. And then I'm going to ask you a few things about it. And I think it will help us all understand really, really well what Jesus was doing with this prayer. So, please listen. There's something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop children What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down How many people have heard the song before? What? How could you have all heard it? It was written in 1967. Everybody's like, Forrest Gump, bro, Forrest Gump. That's what you're thinking right now. Uh, I don't know if you knew, know what band actually uh, wrote the song and performed the song, but it's Buffalo Springfield. The song's name is For What It's Worth. It was written by Stephen Stills, who later joined two others to make up Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Now question about a song that was written years and years and years before many of you were even born. What moments in American history, what scenes or images are coming up when you listen to that song? Mm. Yeah, war, turbulence, difficulties, oppression, all kinds of things are stirred when that song is heard. This is what Tim said about the song. Somehow, There emerges in history, in the history of human civilization and human society, turning points in a culture. Times of upheaval, new cultural movements, when things are changing and society takes a different turn. When these things happen, there are very often poems and songs out of those movements that begin to transcend even the original circumstance in which they are written. And they come to symbolize a whole season or a whole decade of a nation. This song is a clear example of that. According to interviews, Stephen Stills did not write this as an anti-war song. Stills' band was playing regularly in L.A. at a time when local businesses organized a curfew. And because of this curfew, there were riots and police called. And so he wrote the song as a reflection of that single experience. Isn't it interesting, though, that what comes to mind for so many people wasn't the original design of the song? No one's like, oh, that song, ban on curfews. That's the best anti-curfew song I've ever heard in my life. No one's thinking that because the song was somehow able to transcend his original intentions and is still today able to hold those feelings and emotions for an entire time period. Now think about what I said Jesus was here to do earlier. 
He was here to start a movement. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was giving to his followers something that would help to perpetuate the energy and the momentum of the movement beyond him. So he gives them a poem. He gives them something that would transcend their culture and their time, and he fully expected them to memorize and use it as a guide to keep the movement going. So in the same way that this song that we just played has the ability to bring us back to a feeling and an experience of a certain time, the Lord's prayer is meant to reignite a fire for the work that God is doing in creation and in us. And it's not the words of his disciples or some great rabbi or some great priest or some great poet. It is the words of the actual Christ. Instilled inside those words is his movement. And when you pray them or the base tenets of them, you are participating in everything over the last 2,000 years that Christ intended for you to participate in. You are going back outside your culture, your time, your season, your, your, uh, your status, your power, outside of anything that involves your everyday regular perception around prayer, this prayer transcends all of that and reminds you and reminds me that we are supposed to be people, no matter when we are born in the timeline of creation, that interact with the God who is above it all. And yet, we don't. Not many of us. The writer Anne Lamont once said that her prayer life can mostly be summed up in these words. Let me know if you relate. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help me, help me, help me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) I thought it would be fun originally to break the room down into the three areas. Like, where's all the thank you, thank you, thank you people? Where's all the help me, help me, help me people? But then I knew the sorry, sorry, sorry people wouldn't raise their hands, so I'm not going to do it. I knew they wouldn't. They'd be like, I ain't talking about that. These are wonderful expressions of prayer. All of these are, by the way, are are healthy expressions of prayer. We should be grateful. We should request help. And we should be repentant. But these are reactive. And only reactive. We react to an experience by going to God and proclaiming these things. But through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is cultivating a proactive method of prayer. One that expects to commune with God and be transformed or expanded by him. In this way, prayer is to be both a sending and receiving mechanism. This, this is, I think, why a lot of us kinda, kind of uh, you know, level out when it comes to our prayer lives. Because it's one thing to go before God and say, thank you, God, and here's a worship song, or help me, God. Can you save me? Or God, I'm really sorry. Here's some repentance. It's another thing to go, hey, God, what do you think about all that? Like, like how, how, what sort of response do you have to these things that I bring to you? And how should it change me, my story, the way that I parent, the way that I preach, the way that I live my life, sing my songs, drive in traffic? Yesterday, I usually give these things uh, some time before I share them, but it's just been on my heart. Yesterday, I got caught in the fairgrounds exit traffic. Oh, wow. Every person in the room like, oh, gosh. <sighs> you're turning to your neighbor. You're like, he's so relatable, isn't he? Fairgrounds traffic. Can you believe this? I hate it. I hate it. 
And I was waiting to get out of the fairgrounds place. And the whole time, my wife kept saying, you shouldn't have taken this exit. The whole time. Over and over and over. And I was like, love of my life, I heard you the fourth time. Right? I don't don't need. I don't. So about about the fifth time, I'm waiting. And this young man in front of me, I didn't know he was a young man. It was just a car with a blinker. Just would not get on the freeway. He gave everybody way too much space as they came around the corner. And I was like, bro. I said, through the glass, go, bro. (laughs) He never went. Then the final car went, and here comes a semi-truck, right? I mean, slow as slow as slow. I was like, now's your moment. He did not go. You know what my wife said? I told you not to take this exit. And I was like, ah! (laughs) So I honked, which I never do. Do you know why? Because I know for a fact that If I get really honky with somebody, they're going to get out, walk up to my car, and say, I really loved your sermon Sunday, and I'm not going to know what to do. I'm not going to know what to do. It'll be the worst, right? It'd be the worst. The only thing worse is one time I got pulled over by a police officer that went here, and he's like, you're going way too fast, but the message on Sunday, that was fit, right? And I thought, ugh, that's not good. But so so I decided, right? (laughs) I decided to be proactive, and I went to go around him, and that's when he turned and looked at me, and it was this very young man, and I was like, he don't know what he's doing. But then the rest of the cars came, so I got stuck next to him in the turn lane with all the cars while he's looking at me like this, like, bro, what are you doing? And I know in his brain, he's like, you are old enough to know better, right? My wife's like, told you not to take this exit, and it was a nightmare, Sometimes, uh, I don't don't even know why I shared that story now. I got caught up in the emotion. (laughs) I think that sometimes we have to send and receive. I think sometimes we don't just get to go before God and be like, this is what I want and this is why I want it. I think sometimes we got to slow down and say, God, what do you actually think about my behavior? What do you actually think about, about, about even that situation? Like I might have saved us maybe three minutes. And I was the one embarrassed by the end of it. And I wonder sometimes where those things add up in my life when I'm too impatient with my, my wife or one of my children or a fellow parishioner or a staff member or it, it, just people that I do my life with. But if I don't take time to actually ask God to reflect on it and I'm just throwing up bombs every day for him to help me or, or change my circumstances, then I wonder at the end of it all if I'm really praying at all. Or if I'm just kind of checking a box, letting God know that I know he's there, but I'll take care of it. But we can't just memorize the prayer. It has to be more than that. Archbishop Justin Welby said the Lord's Prayer is simple enough to be memorized by small children and yet profound enough to sustain a lifetime of prayer. That's why I wanted to start with this today because... If you've never prayed before, this is where you should start. If you've prayed for 60 years, but you feel like your prayer life's pretty dried up, this is probably where you should start. That's what defines it as a movement of Christ. William Blake says this, Our task in life is to learn to bear God's beams of love. How often we fashion cloaks of evasion and beam-proof shelters in order to elude our eternal lover. But when we pray, God slowly and graciously reveals to us our evasive actions and sets us free from them. When we step out of our, our beam-proof shelters 
and we step into the light of God's presence through praying, God, I don't know if I'm praying well. God says, that's the prayer I was looking for right there. God, I don't know if I'm connecting well. God's like, I'm looking for that one. And God, I I need help, but I also feel like maybe there's some stuff that I'm doing in my life that's keeping me from receiving the help because I'm returning to the same chronic issue one after another. These sort of messy, exposing, naked prayers, I think, are what the Lord's Prayer is inviting us to experience. I also think it's why the, God's Word tells us very clearly, pray without ceasing. I used to hear this verse and be like, I don't got time for that. I got stuff to do. But I've come to realize since, as David Willard said, that constant prayer will only burden us as wings burden the bird in flight. One might add, or perhaps like a fish is burdened with swimming, or you and I are burdened right now by breathing. When prayer just becomes part of our daily story, especially naked and exposed prayer. Now, religious prayer, yep, that should be Sunday mornings, whatever service you go to, when I say bow your heads. (laughs) But what a bummer if that's the only prayer life that you have. What if you're supposed to soak in it much more often? with much more consistency. I think the reason we don't do that is because we make prayer too complicated. Pete Gregg said, the best bit of advice I ever received about how to pray was this, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. We don't need to be intimidated by prayer. I'm just gonna say this, I don't know if you can do it wrong if you're honest about the fact that you don't know if you're doing it right. I don't know if you can I mean, I think there's very selfish prayers, but I think you know that they're selfish prayers. But if you're like, God, I think this is what I'm supposed to do, I think that's enough for him to work with. I just don't think many of us pause and actually start wondering, God, am I praying about what you want me to be praying about right now? We are prone to follow Pete's advice of... of, uh, Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. We're prone to follow that advice when we understand that prayer is something we must learn. This is also why Jesus taught us to come to him like children come to a father, open and honest and trustworthy. This is how children who come to a healthy father communicate. Pete adds, a prayer room is first and foremost a living room, a place where the father waits for his children to come and climb into his arms. This is how we're supposed to come to God. This is how we're supposed to engage with him when it comes to our concerns. We don't go to our fathers, especially if you have a healthy father-child relationship. You don't go to your father and say, Father, reporting for duty, here's all the things I did before I talked to you about my love for you and some of my anxiousness. I cleaned my room, I did the chores, I watched my sister and I mowed the yard. May I sit in your lap, sir? Yes, you may at the end of this uh, show that I'm watching and you may for exactly two minutes. Tell me your thoughts and then move on with your life, son. And yet this is often how we pray. We schedule the time, we do our two minutes, and we move forward. And yet that's not how we are supposed to at all. James 4 tells us you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. To ask rightly then involves transformed passions. In prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. Progressively, we are taught through transformed prayers how to see things from his point of view. 
In other words, prayer is the vehicle to change us, not the vehicle we use to change our circumstances. Have you ever evaluated your passions? I am a uh, highly passionate person. I am always looking for a new, a new way to express passion, except when it comes to my own uh, dysfunction or depravity. And then I am underselling that stuff the best I can. I'm like, God, I kind of wrestle with pride. I mean, I don't, I don't wrestle with that much pride, but, you know, I, I mean, there's other people who wrestle with pride more than I do. My wife, one time in an argument, she had started therapy far before me, and we were in a straight-up argument. Uh, she's here right now, so I'm allowed to share this story. And she was just going off, and she, she doesn't usually do that. It takes a lot to get her to just sort of annihilate me. Uh, she just does the little things, like, he took the wrong exit. She does that stuff, but she was just going. And I knew that, that this was a special moment, so I just stepped back because I, I wanted to learn. <laughs> And she looks for it. I'll never forget this in my life. And she looks into my eyes and she goes, you know, I just, I just think you're an arrogant man. And I was like, mm, mm, what else? She goes, you are a narcissist. Yeah, big word, right? At the time, I didn't know what it meant. So you know what I said? I said, I don't know what a narcissist is, but I guarantee you I'll be the best narcissist you have ever met. <laughs> She still brings that up to me on a regular basis. If you don't know what the word is, it's not a good thing to be the best at it. That's all I'm saying. It's not a good thing. I need to pray to change my passions. Sometimes my passions, most of the time it feels like my passions are for me, for my agenda, for my goals, for what I want. I'm not that passionate about getting rid of the vices in my life that keep me from intimacy with God. I like them. I built them. They're like, a, like an emotional broken Lego set. And I'm like, don't pull this apart, Lord. Don't you see what I did here? And he wants it. He wants yours. But you've got to get into a place of incredible amounts of authentic prayer oftentimes to see it. Uh, I wasn't a, a young man who read a lot of books as a, as a child. The very first book I read, I remember I was like 11 years old, was a Ramona Quimby book all the way through. And I was impressed with myself. And I remember just telling everybody for two or three years, yeah, I read a whole book all my way through. I know that some of you might, you're like, man, I've been reading books my whole life. Not, not me. I didn't. But the very second book that I read all the way through was a book called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone from Ramona Quimby to Corey Ten Boom, but it is a leap <laughs> and I was not prepared. It's an incredibly powerful book about a family during the Holocaust that hid Jewish people inside their home. They were uh, caught during World War II, and she was arrested and sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. The Hiding Place is a biography that recounts the story of her family's efforts and how she found and shared hope in God while she was imprisoned at the concentration camp. She built an entire life out of this, this experience that she had. And she often talked about the power of prayer that helped her survive that time, including the seasons after. This is a part of a story she wrote years later. Several years after the war... She was speaking about her experiences in Munich when one of her former SS guards approached her at the end of the church service. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said. 
to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I who had preached so often the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. This is the power of a praying life. In this circumstance, in this situation, she in real time, because it soaked every being of who she was, could confess to God, repent to God, ask for help to God, and even act out based on the interaction she had with the God she knew so well. No one else even heard this prayer but her. And yet it changed everything about how she saw this fellow human being before her. This is my hope for prayer, that you leave here with a refreshed desire to renew its importance in your life. Not maybe, maybe not inside a church service or inside a study. Maybe it's just sitting in a place where you are hurting, sitting in a place where you are empty, sitting in a place where you have forgotten what it is to fall before Jesus emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. We serve a living God who wants to live out your life with you. And so much of that happens in prayer. Far more than church services or Bible studies even. And so my hope is that we are people of prayer in this room. That this spiritual tenant is refreshed and renewed. And that you are filled with God's love. Once again. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I know there are so many in this room that are attaching to this in completely different ways. I pray, God, you would take uh, my, my weak words and that you, Holy Spirit, would plug in everything that's missing in order to let every child of God in this place know that they are loved by you, that you are speaking that you are teaching, that you are convicting, that you are healing. That they, just as they are, are enough. I thank you, Lord. And like thousands and thousands have before, I pray to you, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. God bless. I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. I'll see you next week.